Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. If you haven't been here before, this is your first Sunday. We are in the middle of a sermon series uh, for the last few, few weeks called Axiom, Axiom. And Axiom is just a, a truthful statement that's always true. It's just something you can take to, to the bank. So what we've been doing is we've been diving into Jesus, his words, and then taking his words and applying them to our lives, saying, if you would just do this, you can trust God. Here's how your life would turn out. So remember last week I said, who wants to be blessed? Everybody, you guys were crazy, right? Like, woo. I was like, if you want to be blessed, you got to learn how to what? Got to give. You got to be a generous person. Generosity, uh, it, it change, it'll change your life. And so take that to the bank. Generosity will change your life. Today I want to talk to you about something that I think is, is magnified in our culture, like the magnified right now. But I don't think it's a new problem. We just have new ave- avenues to, to f- follow this. Like there's, it's not a new issue. It's not a new problem. Sometimes you look at lo- young people as older people, we're like, you guys are crazy, right? Like you ever do that? As you get older, it's like, it's like rite of passage. Look at a young person, young generation, what's wrong with them, right? And so, so there's times I look at things that come out in our culture that I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get every social media. I don't get oversharing. I don't get posting about certain things. Like, I don't get it because I'm old, right? And so, but I'll tell you what it does is it magnifies this need inside of us that begins from the moment we're born to know if we're good or not. To, to know if people see us, value us, approve of us. You know if you have kids, you're, if some of you can't remember being a kid, right? That's hard to go back to two, three years old. But if you have kids, you can relate to this. Like your kids are born, and at some point in their life, they need affirmation from you that they're worthy, that, they, that you see them. And so that's why a two-year-old will be like, hey, mom, hey, dad. And you'll be like, you look over, you're middle of doing something, and they just, <laughs> right? In your heart, you want to tell them, stop bothering me, right? If you're going to ask me to look, at least do something that's worthy of looking, right? <laughs> you don't because you're a parent, right? You ever give you something they make? Like, I made this for you on Mother's Day and Father's Day. And you're like, this is crap. <laughs> right? Anybody? You don't say that, but you think to yourself, this is it, the best you can do, <laughs> right? You're not even in the line saying abstract art, right? And so, but like, <laughs> they give it to you because they want to they know. Do you, do you see this? There's been some, there's something about your life when somebody puts something on display at, at school, on a, on, a, on a refrigerator, and you see it, and you think to yourself, they think what I've done is valuable. That's why the, the, the social media is so prevalent in our culture, because it gives us a continued avenue for, you know, am I doing enough? Do, do you like me? Am I, is my body good? Is my hair good? Am I influential? In fact, everybody wants that. Like if you, if you ask young people, what is the number one job that, that young people say they want to have when they graduate and they get into the world? Anybody know the number one job? It's, yeah, influencer. They want, they want people to want what they have, to buy what they get. They want sponsors. They want to live the Logan Paul, all these other, like these, these lives where 
Like everybody follows you. They want to have influence in, in health. They want to have influence in parenting. They, they want to have influence. We want people to watch us. We want people to approve of us. And some of you are like, yeah, young people have problems, but old people do it too. Like yesterday, I was at a pool. I went to the pool. I went to the pool with just my wife. This is my neighborhood, my, my parents' neighborhood pool. I asked my parent, my, my kids, I said, you want to go, you want to go swimming? They said, no. We left like a bat out of hell. I was like, good, right? <laughs> but I'm not losing anything. So we went on, we went on vacation or, or, or vacation, we went on to the pool, which felt like vacation. And I want to go, I know there's going to be other families. There's going to be kids there. I know it's not, we don't own the pool. And so it's going to be loud. But I don't have to pay attention to my kids. And so I went there. We laid out on the, on the, on the, on the chairs. I'm talking to my wife. I'm trying to relax. I might take a nap. I'm, I'm trying to take a nap. And there's this dad in the pool that is super loud. You know what I'm talking about? Like he, he wants to establish to the entire neighborhood that he's a great dad. So he's talking extremely loud to his kids. And they're like, they're like kind of giggling. But even like in their three or four-year-old, I think they're like, all right, dad, you're embarrassing us, right? He's like, and he's like, super loud, you want dad to do this. And I just wanted to tell him, dude, we get it. I'll get you a trophy. I will establish that you're a good dad and you proved it. Can you just shut up so I can take a nap? <laughs> we are, we are, we are oversharers. We, we talk loud. We, we lead conversations. You know what I'm talking about? Like we, we will ask a question so that we can lead the conversation to what we really want to talk about, which is usually ourselves. Like we... From a young age, we need people to tell us we're doing a good job. And here, here, here's the problem with it. It's absolutely exhausting. It is an exhausting way to live your life with the goal of somebody else constantly having to tell you you're good. You're approved. You're valuable. In fact, in Scripture, in Proverbs 29, it says the fear of men, which fear of men is just another way of saying somebody who is concerned with what people think about them, right? A people pleaser. He says, fear of men will be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear, fear of man, it pulls people around with, without any hope, exhausts them. But those who trust in the Lord are kept safe. Many seek an audience with the ruler, but it is from the Lord that one gets Justice, we get into the habit of building our, our lives, building castles, so to speak, on everybody else's opinions. I need this. Do you see me? And here's the problem. It's really empty. Gives you a hit of dopamine for a second. They liked me. They saw me. Spiritually, you spin around and somebody sees you. So that's really good. You're really different. You're really great. A hit of dopamine, but it's empty. You ever, you ever hear in the health world, there's, there's calories, right? Like you should only eat a certain amount of calories. But there's also good calories and bad calories. Did you know that? I didn't. I, I thought they were all equal. Something called empty calories. They were invented by ramen noodles. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and you, you eat it, right? You pour that, that, that bowl of cereal. You know what I'm talking about? Like a bowl of Fruit Loops or something like that. Right? And you pour the fruit loops in and you eat them and you keep pouring because that's what expert cereal, you just keep pouring, right? Until the milk runs dry, you fill the bowl. It's in the Bible. And so, and you eat the cereal and you feel full for a moment, but it's empty because you're hungry again really quickly. And some of you live in, that's how you live your life. It's, it's, it feels good. It feels good when somebody likes you. It feels good when you get more followers. It feels good when somebody shares something. It feels good when you take a picture of something you're doing and you tell everybody you're doing it. It feels good when you get attention. It feels good when you get affirmation, but it's just empty. 
You, you, you need it again and again and again. And the more that you seek it, the more silly that you get. The more extreme that you get, it's never enough. You see, there's another way to live. There's another way that will bring peace. There's another way that will bring joy. There's another, another way that is rooted in a deep sense of trust in who God is. There's a better way I want to teach you about it. So axiom number six is really important. And I just want to throw this out. I did not steal this from Carson Wentz, right? The only thing stolen from Carson Wentz was his position by Jalen Hurts. And so, <laughs> and rightly so, right? And so I did not steal this from him. But, but he used to say this, and it's such a life-changing axiom if you could get it down. It'll change you if you're a teenager. I wish I could have learned this when I was 13 years old. It'll change you if you're a young adult. It'll change you if you're a young mom. It'll change you if you're a young father. It'll change you if you're whatever area of your life. If you could apply this to your life, this axiom, it will change you. Here's axiom number six. Axiom number six. Live your life for an audience of one. One, one pastor said this week as I was studying this, I just happened on this. He said, whoever you perform for controls you. you. You can get to a place in your life where your eyes are so fixed on Jesus that comfort and trust and peace fill your life. But some of you on the flip side are performing for empty likes and empty shares and you're exhausted. So Jesus gives you the opportunity through an understanding of who you are and who he is to live your life for an audience of one. And if you could get this, it will completely change your life. Now, I'm a, I, I have kids. I've told you about this before. And we are a road trip family. Anybody else a road trip family? Right? Some of you road trips like three hours. That's not a road trip, bro. That's cheating. And so, right, that's a commute for me. And so, right? And so I'm a road trip family. My, my, my in-laws live in, in, in Oklahoma and it's too much money to spend uh, on tickets to go visit your family. And so, like, so we drive there, right? Like, as you're spending all that money, you want to end up in, you know, I don't, not Hawaii because you know. But, like, <laughs> no, that would have been wrong timing, right? And so you want to end up somewhere beautiful, right? And so you want to end up at the end of the, uh, 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 you know, the rainbow here. You want to go somewhere, right? And so, like, Oklahoma is just not that. It's, it's, it's nothing to see there. I love my in-laws, but it's not, it's not a destination people choose. When you ask somebody where they're going on vacation, they do not brag about going to Oklahoma City, right? And so, but we go there every year. I love going there. You know, I'm just playing a little bit. We go there every, every Thanksgiving, every year. I try to get out of it. Every year we still go on Thanksgiving. And so we usually go on Sunday. We leave on a Sunday right after church. We, we, we go home. We pack our finish packing our car up, we leave, we get on the turnpike, we drive all the way through Pennsylvania. Anybody who's ever told you Pennsylvania is beautiful is lying. And so, <laughs> drive to Pennsylvania, it just ruins your, you put your car on cruise control, it ruins, the hills ruin it. Get to West Virginia, you know, after we get to West Virginia, at some point we stop at Cracker Barrel, we eat dinner, we get back in the car at eight o'clock at night, and me and my wife, and this is where I'm blessed, she, she, is, a tr she is amazing at driving in the middle of the night, right? I'm not, I sleep. And so, she gets in the driver's seat. When it's light outside, I drive. I'm in control of my life. You know, then I let her drive. It's dark outside. I always say a prayer. And here's my prayer. God has been good, right? My life's been good. <laughs> if this is how I go out, let me be sleeping. And I go to sleep. And she drives. 
right? Because you know how it is when somebody else is driving, right? She, she drives. I wake up at like, you know, six o'clock in the morning. We have a few hours left from Missouri, between Missouri and Oklahoma. A few hours left. We get there about 11 o'clock on the next day. We leave. We drive through 20, 21 hours. We head, and, and I have three kids, and they are awesome at doing road trips now. Awesome. Like, they're awesome. The most awesome one, and I'm not trying to be competitive, maybe because he's done it the most in his life, is, is Harrison, my youngest. He is the youngest one, but he is the easiest traveler that we have. And they're all good, by the way. They're all easy, but he is the easiest. So I have a three-row Suburban. I bought this three-row Suburban knowing the, the context of my life, realizing if I have a two-road car and I have to drive 20 hours with my kids every year on Thanksgiving, somebody's going to die. <laughs> right? You know what I'm like that's, that's a recipe for disaster. So we split them up, two sit in the, the front row, but they're separated. And then the, the seats kind of lean back and then one gets in the back of the car. And typically Harrison, I don't know how, because he's the littlest one, he ends up, over, especially the last couple of trips, he ends up in the back row. And this is how he travels, it's amazing. And so he gets in the car, immediately gets to the back row, strips off all of his clothes, <laughs> except for his shorts, and he just hangs out for like four hours in Pennsylvania. We're driving through. He's hanging out. He's playing his video games. We get out of Pennsylvania. We get to West Virginia. We're not that deep in West Virginia, though. You know what I'm saying? So we get to Cracker Barrel, and he has to put his clothes back on because it's not that deep in West Virginia. You know what I'm saying? And so, so he gets his clothes back on. We go into Cracker Barrel. We eat. We get up. We, get up we, we walk back out, use the restroom. He gets back in the car. Typically, I fill my car up one more time, and he takes all of his clothes off again, and we do not see him, hear him are not reminded of having a third child <laughs> until probably nine o'clock the next morning. He wakes up, puts his clothes back on, we stop at Brahms, we get, we get ice cream for breakfast and whatever, and we end up in Oklahoma. And here's the thing about Harrison, he could wake up every couple hours. Are we there yet? Did you take the right turn? Did you, should I come sit by you? Have you looked at the map, Dad? He has such a deep-rooted trust in his mom and myself that he's not even, like, in my head, I'd be like, what if we get in that car accident and I'm in my skibbies in the car, right? <laughs> he, <laughs> he is so relaxed in the back of the car. He's so trustworthy. He tr has so much trust in us. that He just chills until we get there. And I think spiritually you can get there with God. You're not popping up going, you remember me? I'm trying now. Go back to bed, right? <laughs> yeah, I know you're there. Go back to sleep. We got this. I got the directions. I, I, I got the resources. I got the credit card to stop and get drinks from time to time. I'm, I, I know exactly what we're doing. If you would just close your eyes, strip off your clothes, and go to sleep for the night, we'll make it there. I love it that he has that much trust, that he's not freaking out, reminding us, trying to take control. Do you see me? Do you remember me? He's just, he's just in trust. I think you can get to that point in your life. That is the opposite, by the way, of how most of us live. You need me to drive, God. You look a little tired. Do you have the GPS? Do you know where to turn? Do, do, you, do, do you remember me? Do you have it all figured out? God's like, would you just get to the back of the car, please? Would you just go to sleep and, and let me handle this? You see, the problem with so many of us, the reason we're so needy with other people is because we lack deep-rooted trust in who God is in our life. You can live your life for an audience of one. And just so you know, this has been an, always been a, been a problem, always been a problem. I want to read you just a few, few lengthy passages of Scripture from Jesus' life. Now, Jesus lived in a culture where the influencers were actually the religious people. It's kind of interesting. Now, if somebody finds out you're a religious leader, what do they do? They run the other way, right? 
But in his day and age, like when you ask young people today, what do you want to do when you get up, get older? They want to be influencers. When you ask young people in Jesus' day, what, the, what do you want to be? They would say, I want to be a religious leader. They're like, they have all this influence. Like people, they, they give them good titles and, they, and they, they see them and they give them seats of honor and, and they're kind of a big deal. And if I want my life to matter, I want to be a religious leader. And to be a religious leader, you had to have people that were impressed with you, that were following you, that were, that were, that were kind of looking at you. And I want to remind you, the more that you live for the opinions of other people, the sillier that you get. The sillier, the, the more extensive that you go for attention. So Jesus, Jesus, in Jesus' culture, Matthew uh, chapter 23, here's how Jesus kind of talks about it. He says, then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They do not practice what they preach. They're, they're doing things. Some of what they're doing is good, but don't do as they say, because they don't practice what they preach. Like, they're, they're all messed up. He says, here's what they do. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. I love this. He says, everything they, they, they do is done for people. Can everybody read that word? See. Everything they do is so that people, they see it. This is why I think this is so relatable. Everything we do if we're honest, the struggle is we want somebody to see that we're doing it. I need somebody to see where I went. I need somebody to see how much I love my spouse. I need somebody to see how good of a dad or mom that I am. I need somebody to see how healthy that I am. I need somebody to see it. Here's why. Because you don't have a deep-rooted trust in who God is and what he says that you are. And so you consistently are longing for somebody else to say, I see you. I see. Meanwhile, God's saying, go back to sleep. I got you. I got you. I'm going to get you to where you're supposed to be. Do you see me, God? I just told you yesterday. Do you see me? Everything they do is people to see. Then they get all silly. Remember I told you you get silly? You know what I'm talking about? Like we get so silly, we add filters and we take pictures of our kids, but we like push them out the way. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? They're like, you didn't need to be in that picture. Yes, I did. I need somebody to see how good of a parent that I am right now in this moment. I need somebody to celebrate the fact that I'm actually hanging out with my kids. I need somebody to see that. I need somebody. They get silly. Watch, watch, what, watch what the Bible says. The Bible says that they begin, they begin to make phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. So you won't understand this because you're not, you're not in that culture. But in that culture, they would wear religious statement pieces. You ever been there? They're like old school rappers, right? And so like they would wear religious state pieces, right? Big, and so what they did is they didn't have chains, they didn't have big earrings, they didn't, have, they didn't show off, they didn't have name brand clothes. They would take boxes and the Jewish people started off, maybe pure, I'm not sure, but the Bible says to wear God's word on your mind, like to wear it, to remember it. And it wasn't literal, but they took it literal and they started building these wooden boxes and they would strap them around their head and they could open them and roll out the scroll of God. So they would put the scroll in and that was a symbol. They were, they were godly. And here's what happened. It became a competition. So by Jesus' day, they were making such large boxes that it was hard to hold their heads up. They needed to go see the chiropractor. Did you see how big my box is? Then they wore these, this is true, then they wore these tassels to show their commitment to God. They started having a competition. Are my tassels longer than your tassels? <laughs> Everything, think about it. 
everything gets silly. You're wearing these for God, but what you're really doing is you're in competition with somebody else. Do you see what I've done here? And it keeps going. It's very interesting. He said everything to do is for people to see. They love, they love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi by others, but you're not to be called rabbi. You have one teacher and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven. You have a Catholic friend. Just tweet that out to them right now. Just read. It's amazing what happens when you read the Bible, actually. You're not supposed to. That sounds disrespectful. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. I, people are like, oh, should I call you father? No, I have three kids. They call me daddy, right? Like, right? My wife, that's it. Like, you don't. Hey, right? Right? Like, you. Stay with me now. So I'll make sure you're with me, right? And so, and they love to be called father. They love, they love titles. They, they, love, they, love seats of, they love seats of importance, right? He says, nor are you be called instructors, for you have one instructor. The greatest among you will be, everybody tell me what that is. Bring it back up for me. Everybody tell me what that is. Servant. You want to be great, you have to be a servant. Then he goes on to say this. He says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So this is the culture he's living. He's, trying to, he's saying, look, this is what they're doing. So then you go back to Matthew chapter 6, and I just want to show you this because what I've noticed is even in the church world, we have a hard time with being satisfied by being seen by Jesus and not others. E even in the church world, we're calculated, we're estimated, we're wondering if somebody saw us. I've had people leave the church before because they didn't get enough uh, applause over the serving they were doing, all that stuff. Like, I just want to tell them, if you want to be great, I'm just giving you an opportunity to be great. And even in church, so Jesus knew this. This is the culture that you're living. This is what your people are struggling with. And so Jesus goes after, he goes after this. Matthew chapter 6, here's what he says. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. You see the opposite? Everything they do is, is to be what? Seen by others. So Jesus starts right away. Here's how we're going to be different. Be careful not to practice your righteousness to be seen by others. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Here's why. You can either be celebrated by man or God, not both. I need you to hear this. You can either be a big deal on earth and it's fleeting, or you can be a big deal in the kingdom of God. You can't be both. The more, some of you want to be famous, the more famous you become, the more nameless Jesus becomes. The more famous Jesus becomes in your life, the more nameless you become. You don't get both. You don't get respected on earth and respected in heaven. You don't get rewarded on earth and rewarded on heaven. You get either or. That's what he's trying to tell us. You don't get both. You, you get either. So he goes through some of the areas that people are struggling with. He says, first, I love this. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and on the streets to be honored by others. Could you imagine this? Here you come with your tithe, right? And your kid in front of you, he's in fourth grade band, right? And has placed trumpet. And so and you're walking in with your tie check in before you. And you're waving, right? You place it in the offering bucket and they... Capture a picture while you're doing it to encourage other believers to be generous. 
You know what I'm talking about? I mean, this is absolutely ridiculous, by the way. He says, don't do this. Truly, I tell you, they receive the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may not be, may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. You get rewarded in heaven, or you get rewarded here. The next time you give, don't tell anybody. He goes into prayer. Christians love to pray. Love to pray. Love to pray out loud. Love to pray long, right? Love to pray with big words. Anybody, anybody ever been with a group of Christians that freaks you out? You're like, I don't know how to pray. You ever been in a, in a prayer circle? I hate prayer circles. You ever been in a prayer circle where you're the last one? You got to position yourself in a prayer circle. <laughs> you get to the end of the prayer circle. Everybody's prayed. Everybody's taking what you wanted to say. You don't know what to say, right? Palms start sweating because you're holding people's hands, which what's that too? Like, uh, right? We pray. Get to, you ever go to a restaurant with somebody who's super, super prayer? And you want to pray for your meal? You're like, yeah, you go ahead and pray for your meal. And they just go after it. And you're like, we're just praying for our nuggets, man. <laughs> you're just loud, right? And you ever pray, in, in, like in public, you just, like, so I remember being a, a young pastor and be like, I got I to gotta, I gotta really put this on right now. I got to know big words and I got I to gotta know lingo. And I got to, how many, how many times do you say Father God in your prayer? How many Hebrew and Greek names can I throw in there? Right, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end, Father God, Father God, right? And all this stuff going on. Like, if you ain't been in church, you don't know about this. You're like, what are you talking about? You're weird, right? But if you've been in church, you've been part of this. Prayer is competitive, which is silly if you think about it. It's competitive. So watch what Jesus says. It's so good. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. You can't have both. I, truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. What if your next prayer was like, dear God, you are better than me, your ways are higher than mine, so God, just do what you're going to do. God, just show up in my life. He goes on to teach him the Lord's Prayer. Makes it real simple. I think they were probably disappointed in the Lord's Prayer. That's it. That's not impressive. The point is not your prayer is impressive. The point is who they're directed to. When you pray, don't do that. And he goes on one more. He gets to like the varsity Christians. You know what I'm talking about? So like giving. So I'm like, I don't do that. I don't care about that, right? And so everybody prays in here. Then he gets to like the varsity Christians, like the really deep ones, the ones who fast. You know what I'm talking about? Fasting. What's fasting, right? Running? What's fasting, right? Running is when you give up something to focus more on God. Typically, uh, we, we do this in America by giving up food. Most of the time, churches do it in the beginning of the year. After they overate all through the holidays, we call this a diet, right? And so they call it the Daniel fast, right? And so... Uh, and you fast, right? And what I've seen, this, this, just don't get mad at me, but most of the time when churches corporately do it, they tell everybody they're doing it. People say, what are you fasting? What are you fasting? We're just like, we see the Catholic church, they put the little, the little ash on, their, on, their, thin, on their, their face and they fast chocolate or whatever it is, right? And you're like, 
They want to tell you, here's what I'm fasting. When's the last time you've been to church? Well, I don't go to church, but I'm fasting. Even in church, church world, church, Protestant church, hey, you're fat, yeah, I'm fasting. And we, and we, we kind of complain about it. You ever been around somebody like, I'm so hungry. Oh my gosh, I'm gonna eat my arm, right? <laughs> you're like, how long have you been fasting? Dude, I've been fasting one, I fasted dinner last night. That's it, like, and I'm so hungry. And I'm like, maybe you should give your body a break more, right? <laughs> I'm fasting. And fasting gets you attention. So what does Jesus say? He says that when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do. They disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, you've received your reward in full, right? He goes on to say, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. For your father who sees what is done in secret rewards you. You can be rewarded here or you can be rewarded in heaven. Why is this mentality so important to live your life for an audience of one? Let me just give you three, three thoughts, just real quick. No, number one is this, is uh, it keeps your mindset clear. You can lie with your actions, but God sees your, your heart, your mind. He, he, he knows you. See, you know, sometimes you listen to a sermon and you're like, I hope so-and-so listens to that. I hope they understand. You're looking around. Somebody needs that. And if you were actually real and you thought about how you think and what you dream about and what you need and the applause you seek out and the approval you seek out and are you really living for an audience of one? And you're like, yeah, of course I live for an audience of one. Then why are you mad right now that you did that nice thing for your sister and she never said thank you? Why are you so mad right now? If you live for an audience of one, well, they didn't give me what I thought I needed. Well, do you want a reward from her or from Jesus? I'll take Jesus. Some of you bitter at your boss right now, they don't recognize my, my potential. I spun around, my mom said, you have potential, right? <laughs> they don't recognize my potential and they overlook me and I've been working really hard, okay. If you really are only living for an audience of one, then you only concern yourself with Jesus' eyes being affixed to you as you keep doing the right thing because you do the right thing, you'll never end up in the wrong spot. So why are you so mad at your boss who can only give you and get you to certain levels, why are you looking for him or her to be your rewarder when you can actually get your reward from heaven? It helps you to keep your mindset clear. The more that you begin to, to live your life uh, like, like a ninja, a spiritual ninja. You know what I'm talking about? A bad ninja is a, is a scene ninja. Am I right? Something like ninjas don't exist. How do you know? Right? Let me. Jesus said, listen, here's your mindset. If you want to be great, you got to be a servant. A servant is also another person or quality of someone who is unseen but still successful. You think about it. When you, when you serve, you do not concern yourselves with attention from other people. You, you're not worried about other people seeing you or knowing your name. You're only there for your master's benefit. You, your position is, is lowly. You, you lay down your life for others. And in fact, you're taking the position Jesus took. Philippians 2 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Think about it. Other side, when you go to a restaurant right now, somebody waits on you, right? We call them, another word for a waiter is what? Servant. The point of a servant is not to take the attention and, and the recognition 
from, from the, the people that are eating at a restaurant. The point is to participate in a great experience, which is having food and a good experience and coming back to that restaurant. The point is not the server. I was a server. The best servers, it's almost like they're not there. Have you ever tried to eat somewhere? You got your drinks, you got your food, servant keeps coming up. Can I help you? You need something? Can I do this? You're trying to, every time you try to talk, do you need anything? And what do you think to yourself? Why don't you just look at the table? This, this iced tea has been empty. Why don't you just, before you even ask, right, just go get another tea and bring. Those are the best servants, servers, am I right? Not to be rude, not where you're like, I don't want to talk to you. But sometimes you're there. When I, was, when I served, served tables, I wanted to be out ahead of it. I didn't want it to be about me. I wanted to take care of them so that they could have a great experience. I remained nameless, right? Like it wasn't about me. And so many times in our lives, we want to serve, but we want somebody to see us serving. We want somebody to see us performing. We want somebody to see us doing, doing good. But when you serve like a servant, with the servant's mindset, it keeps you, keeps you clean. You remind yourself, I'm going to remain nameless, just like we said earlier, and Jesus can become famous. I want to teach you something today. I'm not a sun, moon, stars guy, but I did grow up in Boyertown, and uh, they had a planetarium there. So I feel like I'm experienced in it. And uh, I used to go to the planetarium. I learned certain things about the, the, the stars, the, the sun, the moon, all that stuff, right? And so the sun is the central figure in our, in our universe. We got, we got you tracking with me. It's the sun. It's, it's the center of the universe. The earth is one of, I don't know how many planets now because they got rid of one, right? And so, but one of the planets, I think it's the third from the sun. Am I right? I don't remember. It's been a long time, but it's away from the sun. The sun rotates, or the earth rotates around the sun. Are you guys tracking with me? The sun does not move around the earth. The earth is not the center of the universe. The earth has been put by God at the exact distance that it needs to be away from the sun to acquire and maintain life. Isn't that interesting? So when people tell you this all happened by chance, you take them to those facts. If you move it just a little bit closer to the sun, we all burn up. If you move it just a little bit farther from the sun, we all freeze. God put it at the exact distance that it needs to be to maintain life on the earth. Isn't that interesting? And so it, it goes around. It rotates around the, 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 the sun. Around the earth, though, is what? Come on, you guys. I, I knew this was going to be a struggle for 11 o'clock service. 8 o'clock, they were in it, taking notes, right? What, what goes around the earth? The moon. You ever walk out at nighttime, see the moon, and be like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so bright. It's so, you know, so full today, whatever. And so see the moon. You see the moon, it looks like it produces light. But what I learned when I was a kid, and I think it's still true, is uh, <laughs> the moon gets light because of the what? The sun. Without the sun, we don't even know there's a moon there. Like the, the, moon, the only reason that the, the, the moon has light is because the sun reflects its glory on, on the moon. The moon is not the glory. The sun is. And so... The next time you begin to get credit and people begin to make a big deal about you and you want to take credit for it and you want to, you know, become an influencer all stuff, I want you to remind yourself, I'm not the sun, I'm the moon. I'm not the star. The only reason anything good is happening in, in me, is happening through my life, is happening and put on display in my life, the only reason is because I'm just a reflection of who? The sun. Every gift Every talent, every ability, everything that makes any lasting difference in your life is just a reflection of the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. Anything that you try to reflect on your own, let me just be really, really, really somber. 
If your life is anything other than a reflection of Jesus Christ, your life is worthless and you'll be forgotten within a few years of your death. They'll take you, they'll put you in the ground and burn you, bury you, however you want to get there. And life will continue to move on without you because when you live for yourself, you don't outlive yourself. You are just a reflection. Keeps your mindset clean. I am just a reflection. Anything you see good in me is just a reflection of the real good one. The Bible says that he uses the foolish things. I'm going to point at myself. You just take your hands real fast. Everybody take your hands. Everybody take. He uses the foolish things. Just touch yourself. Don't touch your spouse. I saw that. <laughs> he uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. I am just a reflection of the sun. N number two is this. Let me just give you a few more thoughts. Number two, it keeps your motives pure. He, he tells us what their motives are. He says everything they do is so that people see them do it. Their motivation was shallow praise instead of God's presence and his promises in his life. He dealt with this often. He tells them again in John 12, these people love human praise more than they love the praise of God. So what does Jesus say? It's really, it's really new. He says, he says, give, don't share. Give it, don't tell anybody. He says, pray, but don't be loud and long-winded. He says, fast, but don't look hungry. In other words, what he's trying to tell them, if you're doing things in your spiritual life, and the only reason you're doing them is to get credit, is to get glory, is to get praised, and is to get approval, you should quit it right now because it's not for me, it's for other people. If you do anything in your spiritual life, and right now I could turn off the, the light, and nobody would ever again know that you did it again, and you would still keep doing it. That is purity of motives. Anything other than that purity is actually manipulation. And manipulation never stirs and moves the heart of God, and you know that because manipulation never stirs and moves the heart of any person that you're close with. Think about it. You ever been in a bad time in your marriage? You're like, I gotta fix this. Right? I don't know how we got here. Well, you, your marriage falls apart in little tiny apathetic moments, right? That's how it falls apart. You just, you just kind of move away. And sometimes talk to people like, we got to fix our marriage, right? And I, uh, I want to fix it. I want them to, you know, like me again. I want them to do this. And so you ever, you, I meet people, they're like, I came up and I gave my wife a hug today. And then I, I walked away. And then a, a couple hours later, I reminded her of the hug that I gave her. Because I wanted that hug to be a segue into more hugging. But it didn't work. And I'm mad. And I want to tell them, listen, your motivation for that hug was impure. It was manipulation. And manipulation never stirs the heart, heart of, of a spouse. What if you just hugged them and then walked away? What if, you, what if you just did something nice? What if you just cleaned up something in the house and didn't tell anybody you cleaned it? Didn't announce it with the trumpet, right? Didn't tell Alexa, hey, Alexa, when my spouse comes in. I want you to play this song, and I want you to say this to them. So they're reminded of the goodness so that they can give me what I so long for. Right? When you live your life like this, your motivation, it remains, it remains pure. It, it, it remains centered on who God is, right? It remains true to what he calls you to do. In fact, I love what Proverbs 27 says. It says, hey, let someone else praise you. Let, let someone else praise you, and not your own mouth, an outsider, and not with your own lips. And so what's interesting is right before this, Matthew 5, Jesus says in the previous chapter, he says, let your good deeds shine before men so that they can see them and glorify your Father. 
So some people are confused. They're like, do I let my good deeds be seen or do I hide them under a bushel, right? Do I pray in public so people see? And here, here's the interesting part. He says, let your good deeds be seen by others, right? Seeing by others is different than saying by you. There's a difference. Most of us say, look what I did. And Jesus says, you do so much secret living, you're so close to me that other people, it's evident to them that you're walking close to me. You won't ever even have to tell them. They'll see it from being near you. It keeps your motivation pure. Let me just give you, give you one more thought. Number, number three, it keeps your movement forward. It keeps your movement forward. And so watch what the promise of scripture says. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love this promise. It's going to keep my, keep my mindset clean, keep my motives pure. I'm doing this with pure motives. And what happens is when you humble yourself in that manner and you put your promotion in God's hands, the Bible says that the more humble you become, the more he can exalt you. By the way, the word exalt is promote. I told you last week, I said, uh, how many of you want everything that God has for you? Remember, we were all like, yeah, right? Yeah, I want that. I want, I want more blessings. I want, and I said, okay, you got you to be generous. Okay. For you to continue to hold what God brings into your life, you got to be humble. Promotion with God, this is what's so interesting. Because you would think promotion with God would be fame, would be a bigger platform, would be more people knowing your name, uh, would be more accomplishments. Like this is how you get more from God. You get these things, then God uses your life. But the truth is, being used by God in a, in a greater way doesn't come from a deeper education. It doesn't come from more followers. It doesn't come from a bigger church or a bigger business that you run. It doesn't come from putting your talents on display and somebody validating them. It doesn't come from the right connections or the right doors being open. It comes from a deeper understanding of humility. What's humility? Humility is I can do it without declaring it. I can just do the right thing and never even tell it. When's the last time you did that? You just did the right thing and you just moved on. You didn't even, oh yeah, I gotta tell you about that thing I did three days ago. You just do the right thing and then you just move on. You don't need recognition to run your race. You don't need anybody else's eyes on you besides your father's. You don't need recognition. You don't need to share it to make it matter. You ever, I, sometimes I'm, I think people think that. I think they think, if I don't share this, this will not matter in the history of the world. If I don't share this family picture right now on vacation, this will not matter. Think about it. If I don't capture this moment, my kids will forget about this. Like they'll forget about this. If I don't say happy anniversary online to my spouse, are we even married? Right? <laughs> Sometimes you're like, bro, you're laying in bed by her. I can think of a million other things I'd rather be doing right now than typing on Facebook, right? But like we can live a different life, right? And the Bible says when you have a deeper understanding of humility, what's humility? Less of me and more of him. In fact, one of my favorite examples of humility is in scripture. And uh, so there's a guy named John the Baptist. Anybody ever hear of him? And so what was he famous for? Baptizing people, right? It was really low-hanging fruit. And so it's like they couldn't figure out what to call him. We're going to call you John the Baptist. What do you do? He baptized people, right? And so John, John came. He was a relative of Jesus. They were born relatively at the same time. And uh, 
his main job was to baptize people and prepare the way for Jesus. That was his main job. But he was also really popular. Like he was an eclectic dude, he was kind of weird. And so he lived out in the, in the country, he wore like animal skin. He was like a weird dude, right? And so, so people were really interested in him. They would come out and they would get baptized. Even Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist. He was an expert in baptism. You ever have something that you were known for? Like I'm known as being the influential mom on our, on our, on our, on our neighborhood. I got, I got all the oils and antidotes, right? Like I, I'm known for that. I got to share that. I'm known for being a singer. I got to show people my talent. I'm known for being an athlete. I got to show them my highlights. I'm, I'm known for being a preacher. I got to show them my sermons. I'm, I'm known. Like this is what I'm known for. And so John the Baptist is known for baptizing people. And so this is his success. This is his influence. This is where he gets his self-worth. And so Jesus comes on the scene. He gets baptized. He begins to gather disciples. People begin to follow him. Uh, follow him. He ends up in the same river as John the Baptist. And uh, he begins to baptize people. And people begin to leave the line to get baptized by John and go get in line with Jesus to get baptized. John's followers start freaking out. So you got to say something to your relative over there. You're, you're baptized. He's, he's doing your thing, Jesus. Or John, like, is he supposed to die on the cross or something like that? That's supposed to be his thing. Baptizing is your thing. And I love what John says. He, he has such a good outlook on life. He has, he has this gift given to him. He's baptizing people. They're mad. And he says this in John chapter 3. He says, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The bridegroom, the Bible says that we are the bride of Christ. So Jesus um, and us, we're in a, a picture of marriage where he gives up his life. And he, here's what he says. He says, I've just been invited to the party. I'm not even in the wedding party. Like, I'm not the point. The point is Jesus and his people. And so as his people are going to him to get baptized, I'm okay with it. He says, that joy of being there to witness that, right? I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm in the, 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 the wedding party. I get to see it, but I'm not a part of the wedding party. He says, that joy is, is mine. And then he goes on to say this. He says, and it's, it's now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. There's a, there's a, there's a peace there. There's an exhaustion in trying to become great and, and, and trying to get people to see you and trying to be, am I good enough? Am I approved of? There's an exhaustion there. There is a peace that most people don't know when you realize that literally you serve a God that loves you, cares for you, is in control, has every detail of your life figured out, that you don't have to become famous, that you don't have to be known. You can just rest in him and follow him. He'll bring purpose. He'll bring joy. He'll bring plans to your life. He'll pull things out of your life that were given to you for his kingdom, right? You don't even know we're in there. You don't have to attach yourself to some shallow, hollow talent where you're in competition with everybody else. You don't have to be seen to be successful. You you can just be in the back seat of the spiritual suburban in your life with all of your clothes off, just relaxing. God's going to get me where I'm supposed to go. He's going to feed me when I need to be fed. He's going to get me to the destination I'm supposed to get to. God has the GPS of my life. I don't have to get up and say, did you see me? Do you remember me? God says, hey, go back to bed, man. I got you. The Bible says he never sleeps, never slumbers. I love that. That means when you lay your head on the pillow at night, God's saying, hey, here's the plan for tomorrow. I'm going to wake you up. I got this, this decision to lead you through. I got this opportunity to bring to you. 
I got this moment of healing to, to accomplish in your life. I got it all planned out. I'm the author and perfecter of your life. You can trust me. There, there's a peace there when you live your life for an audience of one. Instead of saying, did you see me? Did you see me? Did you, did you see me? You wake up every day and you know because of what God did through, for you through his son, Jesus Christ, that his eyes and his affection are on your life. I promise you, it will change you forever. Would you stand to your feet? Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Let me just speak. Let me, let me, let me talk to the person who, who's struggling right now. I wish I could have figured this out when I was like 12, 13 years old. I wish I could have. I wish more people could figure this out at a young age. Stop performing. Stop stressing. Stop running. Stop searching. Stop lying. Some of us, we, we, all we do is lie to make ourselves look better. Stop performing. And just rest in who you are in God. Understanding that Jesus came and laid down his life for you. Which tells you you're important. It tells you you're significant. It tells you you're not an accident. It tells you you have worth and you have value. That Jesus, the Son of God, would lay down his life for you in your place on a cross. He shed his blood. He paid for your sin. He doesn't love you because you're impressive. He doesn't love you because you clean your act up. He doesn't love you because you join some hollow religion and you begin to go through these practical things that so many people do in the hopes that they would get the attention of their creator. He just loves you. He's known you before the foundations of the world. He still has a purpose and plan for your life. He wants you to know him. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to hear his voice. His word is life. It's life. It has the ability to heal. It soothes. It sets free. It brings joy. I love that. It answers life's deepest questions. Some of you struggle with that. You matter. You matter. Don't just take that from a 43-year-old pastor on a stage, shallowly telling you you matter as if I know you. Those words aren't from me. Those words are from God. Biblically, you matter. You're loved. You're cared for. You're invested in. Jesus laid down his life to get to you. He'll guide you. He'll direct you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He can do more in a moment than all the other moments that you've accomplished up to your life. All the other baggage that you're carrying in one moment where you say yes to Jesus Christ. And I love it. The Bible says the first step is humility. You humble yourself in the sight of God. Here's, here's why. For you to have a relationship with God, you have to first admit to yourself you can't do it on your own. You're not good enough. That feels good to say that. I've tried. I've tried to make a way. I've tried to figure myself out. I've tried to bring purpose to my life. And on my own, I'm not good enough. That's the first step in humility. I can't do this on my own. And the Bible says when you humble yourself before God, that he'll lift you up. He'll save you, he'll heal you, and he'll make you whole through his son's death, 
burial and resurrection. And he's here. He's here. I'm going to humble myself. The Bible says next, you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. We pray together. We proclaim the truth of God over our lives. That we're sinners, that our sin deserves death and hell, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. For anyone who calls on him shall be saved. Anyone. Any situation, any background, any upbringing, any problem, any level of shame, no matter how much baggage you have, no matter how many mistakes that you've made, that anyone who calls on the name of Jesus, that he'll save you in that moment. He won't tell you to come back and fix yourself later. We'll deal with your garbage later. He says, listen, right now in this moment, if you would stop running, if you will call on my name, I'll bring you into my family and I'll begin to do the work that only I could do. I'm going to humble myself before God right now. I don't know Jesus Christ. I relate to what you said. I'm always running and I'm always searching for approval and I'm always seeking the accolades of other people and I am exhausted in this life. I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I want him to be the author and perfecter of my life. If you're in this place, you don't know Jesus. You're in Montgomeryville, you don't know Jesus Christ, but you need to. I want to pray with you as we close. I want you to do something, and this takes another step of humility. You're not going to worry about the person to your right or left. I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to know him right now. I'm going to follow him with everything inside of me from this day forward. If, I, if that's you, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. Would you just begin to slip your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, pastor, I don't know Jesus Christ, but I need to. There's a hand back here. There's a few hands over here. I don't know Jesus, but I need to. Is there anybody else that would say, hey, pastor, that's me. I don't know Christ. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high for a second, and they're going to let me know in Phoenixville. And all over this house and in Montgomeryville, would you just pray something like this? Repeat after me, Every, everybody still pray and say, Jesus Christ, today I need you. I'm no longer going to be the own, my own leader of my life. Today I put my trust in you. From this day forward... I'm going to follow you. Jesus, thank you for loving me enough to die on a cross for my sins and for, for, for defeating, sorry, for defeating death and hell through your resurrection. And as we stay in that moment, uh, just right now I pray, Holy Spirit, there's a, there's a, there's a prayer that says to uh, check out our heart. God, do a little inner work in our heart. God, give us a clean hands and a pure heart. Lord, help us to evaluate every area of our life. Lord, this is, this is a word that can be challenging, that can be threatening for some of us, because some of us have spent our entire life uh, seeking things that are leaving us empty. And uh, some of us, it can be painful to let go of an area of our lives that seems so foundational and crucial to who we are. But Lord, we're going to trust your word. We're going to live our life to be seen in heaven, not seen on earth. We're going to seek you. Lord, we want you to become famous. Lord, what happens in our lives, oftentimes, as you increase in our life, Lord, Lord, we decrease. And we're okay with that. We want to live a life that brings glory and honor to you in everything that we do. Lord, you've given us talent, but it's just a reflection of your goodness. Lord, 
You've given us opportunity. It's just a reflection of your provision, Lord. Lord, we are just a reflection of how great that you are. Lord, we are a testimony that, God, you can use anybody. You can work in anybody's life. And we are grateful for that. Lord, thank you for all that you've continued to do in this church. Lord, right now, uh, for those of us that are coming back tonight, we're just going to set our hearts on you. We're going to come to this place. And uh, two things. First thing, we just want to tell you thank you. We got no agenda on our plate. We got nothing that we're asking you for. We just want you. So would you just fill this place up, even now, Lord, that you would just fill this place up right now, prepare this place uh, to move in a way through our lives and in this church. And maybe you haven't before. Would you refresh some of us? Would you pour your spirit out? Some of us have never even experienced a night of worship before where we just come in and we lift up our hands and we focus our attention and our affection on you. And so I thank you in advance that tonight is going to be a fruitful night as we lift up your name. Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you continue to do. In Jesus' name we pray. One more time. Would you shout amen with me? Would you clap together? Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.